Global law and global business go hand in hand, but never seem to keep pace with each other. The importance on the global stage of developing and developed nations waxes and wanes while consumption and interconnectedness steadily increase, all the while laws and regulations change incessantly, requiring businesses to stay nimble. But how do we make sense of it all? Welcome to Global Law and Business, hosted by Harris Brickens, international business attorneys. I'm Fred Rockefort. And I'm Jonathan Bench. Every week, we take a targeted look at legal and economic developments in locales around the world as we try to decipher global trends in law and business with the help of international experts. We cover continents, countries, regimes, governance, finance, legal developments, and whatever is trending on Twitter. We cover the important, the seemingly unimportant, the relatively simple, and the complex. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Please connect with us on social media to comment, and suggest future topics and guests. Today we are joined by Kai Friedrich Niermann, a business and corporate lawyer from Germany, where he has practiced for almost 16 years. Kai is very familiar with the interconnectivity between national and European regulations, especially in regard to consumer protection, product safety, and emerging new cannabis products. He has engaged in advocacy relating to cannabis, beginning in the early stages of his studies at Philips University Marburg, when the German Supreme Court ruled that small amounts of cannabis should not be criminalized. After medical cannabis was legalized, Kai started a legal blog, Cannabis.legal, on all the relevant new developments in the emerging cannabis market and has become a legal expert, especially regarding CBD products. He regularly speaks at international cannabis conferences on topics of the German and European legal framework. He has published articles on the Prohibition Partners platform and was cited by the Cannabis Law Report as well as the Canadian Globe and Mail. Kai co-founded the International Cannabis Bar Association with an event in Berlin in April 2019. He consults major CBD and medical cannabis companies as well as a reputable online knowledge portal for medical cannabis and CBD. Kai, welcome to Global Law and Business. Thanks for having me on the show. Hi. Kai, welcome. Um, you're not the first German guest that we have on the podcast. Um, that honor has, has gone to someone else. But you are, however, the first German who actually lives uh, and works in, in Germany. So we'd like to take advantage of this opportunity to ask you, before we get into, into the subject of cannabis, uh, more broadly, uh, maybe give us an overview of what is happening in Germany, things that we should be looking out for as informed citizens. As I recall hearing that you're going to have elections soon, I mean, I could be, I could be wrong about that, but if you could give us that um, big picture uh, overview of what's happening in the country, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, right now, uh, nothing much is going on because we are in lockdown since uh, early November. Uh, and the lockdown was um, uh, deepened by 1st of December, where all the shops and uh, super and and, um, and stores were closed. Uh, so um, really, a pretty, pretty uh, really a sad, sad phase of the of the pandemic right now. Here, uh, the numbers are going down. We have an uh, an index of, of fifty right now, fifty nine per seven days per one hundred thousand um, people, uh, and um, the uh, but every, everyone is afraid of the uh, of the of the virus mutants mutations. 
from, from, from England. Uh, so we are closing the borders to our eastern neighbors right now. And we don't see any chance in the near future of getting back to normal life here. Maybe in, in summertime, when the vaccines are rolling out. Uh, to the, the whole parts of the population. Uh, so, uh, and we had a very strong winter with minus 15 degrees and snow all over for two weeks now. Yeah, so uh, this was a dark, uh, silent winter uh, till, till now. Uh, but uh, 2021 is going to be a very, very interesting year for, for, for Germany. Um, as the federal elections, as you mentioned correctly, uh, um, coming in September 21. So seven months to go for the federal elections. And Germany likes to have chancellors or prime ministers, uh, we call it chancellor, uh, for a very, very long time. So, so it started with Konrad Adenauer in 40, 1949. He was 16 years uh, in charge. Then there was a grand coalition with three years, but then Willy Brandt for four years, and then uh, Helmut Schmidt for for 10 years almost, and then Helmut Kohl again with 16 years, and now Angela Merkel with uh, 16 years again when she stepped back in, in September. We will see a drastic change in, in, in politics here in, in Germany in September. We, will, we expect a completely new government, uh, probably with the participation of the Green Party, uh, going together with the Conservatives uh, five, six, eight years down the road. This was not imaginable, uh, but um, uh, things have really changed here in, in, in Germany. We will get a, a very liberal or even a more liberal future than, than we have right, right now when the Greens start to work on different topics like uh, climate change, like uh, cannabis policy. We will probably see a cannabis re a reform in cannabis policy. We can talk about that a little bit more in, in depth uh, in the coming minutes. So yeah, that's that's what we have to expect from, from 2021. And we hopefully will get over these, uh, these pandemic pretty soon. Fred and I are very interested in kind of the geopolitical situation uh, all around the world. So if we can take a step back and kind of frame Germany historically, um, you know, post-World War II, Germany was in, uh, in rebuilding, has uh, been a, a major economic driver for the European Union. Certainly that comes with a lot of political clout as well. So like you said, with the changeover with Chancellor Merkel stepping down later this year, we'd love to hear what you see happening within the EU politically. Uh, is Germany's role uh, in the last 50, 70 years, uh, is that changing? Do you see tension between Germany and, and other allies? Uh, you know, some jockeying for who's really going to be in control of EU policies and, and how the EU acts in the, in the coming decades. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for Germany, it's it's a historically always a problem uh, to take any leadership within the uh, European Union. Uh, we saw that in the financial crisis, as we had to handle uh, the Greece, uh, the Greek problem, um, as the uh, the troika came from the EU, leaded by German. Um, financial uh, or finance minister uh, Schäuble uh, and uh, saying the Greek what they have to do and what they don't have, what they can't do. And uh, they, we, we saw these pictures uh, from Angela Merkel in Greek newspapers uh, and comparing them uh, with Adolf Hitler and stuff like that. But that's of course, a problem because we have a problematic history in, in the in, in Europe, um, and we Germany is always reluctant to to take really uh, a leading role uh, within the European Union. Or 
they we, we do it, but we have to do it with a lot of diplomacy uh, to uh, to really keep everything together. And um, and uh, France and Germany is a, is a is a strong team within the European Union, and uh, the the uh, decision processes within within the European Union are very slow. But in the end, uh, I'm always surprised again that they find a solution. They always find a solution, uh, except for the Brexit. Uh, they couldn't convince the, uh, the the Brits to to stay within the European Union. But even so, difficult and complex issues like uh, Poland and Hungary uh, with the rule of law problem and uh, financing of the EU and they always work something out for, for the European Union uh, and of course everyone is looking to Germany but uh, I think the, the German government, the Germany EU uh, officials uh, acting for Germany, they're doing a good job. They always want to be diplomatic and find diplomatic solutions. And uh, even our foreign minister is uh, is going out in the world and, and uh, always demanding um, diplomacy and, um, and uh, talks and uh, peaceful solutions. Um, and that's a problem as well with Donald Trump, with the, with the NATO. What we what we had, he was always demanding more costs for for, for military expenses from Germany. Um, yeah, we have to work something out within the European Union to to have a common maybe a common force or, or more you know, options to to work together within the European Union, uh, and that's. To, to take care of our defense. Uh, and uh, that's very, very complicated. Uh, and uh, yeah, we will see how, how this will turn out. Europe has to come together more than we are right now in these questions uh, to compete with, uh, with, uh, with, with Moscow and with China and stuff. Um, yeah, so it's very, very exciting the next uh, years what's, what's going to happen. And so what's the word in Germany and, and surrounding countries about the U.S. presidential election? Uh, is everyone uh, kind of generally more optimistic, uh, neutral, waiting to see what the, what the new administration will be doing, or, or is it not big news? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, I have uh, I have CNN uh, on my television here, uh, and uh, I watched it uh, around the sixth of January. I uh, was uh, it was uh, on all the time, uh, and uh, we 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 were really closely following all the events uh, till the twenty one, uh, till uh, Joe Biden was um, installed as the forty sixth president, and it was a big relief all over Germany, all over Europe, uh, that. Uh, the new uh, administration came in, uh, so and we all expect that uh, we we will come back to to normal terms in respect of, of diplomacy and uh, transatlantic relations and the fact that you just can talk again together on a, on a normal uh, prudent level for partners, which we have been seventy years uh, since the world wars uh, stopped. Uh, so yeah, big news and big relief here. Hi, you mentioned Brexit, and I'd, I'd like to talk briefly about how the UK's departure is going to impact the EU, specifically from the point of view of, obviously it's going to have a lot of impacts, but specifically in terms of the role that Germany and France play. I mean, I think it's fair to say that the UK was always a, a weird sort of player, right? I mean, they were they were important, but at the same time, not particularly committed to the European idea. But certainly they were pulling the EU in a certain direction while they were there. Now they're no longer. 
part of the union. So how do you see the post-British EU adjusting? And, and, and is, is that automatically going to mean a greater role for Berlin and Paris? Or might there be other countries that want to take advantage of this opportunity to, to shape things differently? I don't know. I mean, uh, the Brexit as a result for, for the UK is that they are not formally a member of the EU anymore, but they have to follow all the rules uh, still. Um, some exceptions, but uh, overall, they still want to enter the European market, so they have to follow and comply with the European rules. Nothing changed, but they don't have any um, right to discuss the rules anymore. Uh, that's, in fact, the result. Um, so they didn't really win a lot by taking the Brexit. And uh, all discussions all the time in the last 20 years, 20, 30 years, uh, the, only, the, the biggest problem always was the UK. They had a different opinion. They wanted to do it in, a, in another way. They wanted to have a discount. And it was really, really problematic to, to handle uh, the UK and within the European Union. In, in sort of financing and economic rules and stuff, I don't think that in terms of NATO or defense policy uh, that there will be a, a change. Uh, I haven't heard anything about that. So we will always be some sort of a European Union in, in terms of, of that that will, that will last uh, over the, the economic issues, I, I think. And uh, to answer your question, as the UK always had a special opinion and a special role, there was also a relief somehow that European Union is now on its own and don't have to deal with these uh, extra views from the, from the UK anymore. Thank you for that. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be relieved as we turn away from the subject of the European Union, right? I'm, I'm sure, for, especially for, for those of you in Europe, it's something that's ever present and probably less interesting than it is for us as, as outsiders. But turning now to more personal topics, uh, you have been a lawyer since 2005. We have a, a lawyer's roundtable today on the show, as we often do. And I'm always fascinated by the stories that different people have regarding how it is that they joined the profession. So I'd love to hear about how you decided to, to become a lawyer, what, what drove you to the profession. And uh, we'll, we'll be focusing a lot on your work as a, as a cannabis lawyer, but as, as often happens with, with lawyers who are doing interesting things, there's there's a backstory and there's all the years of, of other work. I think we, we, we all have that. I mean, I think if you were to ask most of the lawyers at our firm, we'd discover that there was a time when they were doing very different things. So what uh, type of, of law did you practice initially and, and how did things change to take you to where you are today? I wanted to change the world, of course, as every law student uh, wants in the first place. <laughs> Fight for human rights and know the law and uh, make the world a better place uh, and stuff like that. Um, but then you see the reality and how hard it is to study the law and to uh, see the underlying problems of society and to see uh, the dogmatic issues uh, and uh, how justice may be uh, uh, treated badly by dogmatic uh, pre prerequisites uh, the law has. Um, so then 
of course, like every law student facing hard times, uh, is this the right thing for me? Uh, shall I stop? Um, and um, but then finally, uh, you you work your way through that um, uh, first state exam. And then um, the uh, second bar exam comes, it's another two years, uh, and uh, two years of your life have been lost uh, for the for the exams, uh, you can say. And uh, I learned once that um, in the military you, you are broken and you are put back together by your officers. And uh, in the law studium you are broken, but you have to put back yourself by yourself. So you have to repair yourself. And if you manage to do that, you're, you're the lawyer, you're a lawyer, you can handle, you can handle cases and can handle um, emotions and uh, situations and, and stuff. Um, and so, yeah, and then I started to work in as a, as a, um, uh, as a lawyer for commercial law, for small and medium enterprises, uh, small and medium-sized enterprises, uh, family offices, um, here in Paderborn, it was a, a, yeah, a boring life, but always looking uh, since my studies at the cannabis development. And then Germany had, um, legalized medical cannabis in 2017. Uh, then I started a blog uh, on all these new developments. Um, CBD came up. Nobody knew at the end of 2017 what was CBD. Uh, only a couple handful of, of early adopters. Uh, and the uh, legal framework for CBD was, uh, there was no idea about what, how to treat CBD, uh, how in CBD extracts, CBD oils, uh, uh, the CBD flowers, uh, which are right now one of my focus in this month, in these days, CBD flowers, uh, I can explain later. Uh, so, uh, and um, then... Um, I started to work on these blogs and published articles and uh, got invited to uh, to the um, uh, Bis uh, uh, conference in Toronto. Uh, then I was invited to uh, Washington to the National Cannabis Bar Association, the Cannabis Law Institute, and the George Washington Law University in, in Washington. And uh, the first clients came, and uh, yeah, since six, 16, 18 months, I'm only um, consulting CBD and uh, medical cannabis companies and uh, yeah, consulting the companies from all over the world who are interested uh, to, um, in entering the, the German market. So Kai, I've got two questions. First is, is a comment, your comment about how the law, study of the law breaks you down and you have to put yourself together. My first semester of law school, I was actually at George Washington University in, in Washington, D.C., and uh, it, was, it was a shock all around so many, for so many reasons. And I remember being overwhelmed with classes and just stress, right? And I got to the point where I got sick and one of my ears was so clogged that I couldn't hear out of it for three days, but I didn't want to stop and go to the doctor because I felt like I would get behind in my classes even farther, right? It was just, I felt like I was perpetually dropping into a hole and it took, it took quite a bit of time that first semester to feel like, you know, to gain my, my own confidence back in myself as someone who could learn, you know, learn and do hard things, right? And not that undergraduate studies in the U.S. weren't difficult, but, but uh, in the U.S., once you get to graduate school, it's often uh, quite a bit more difficult than, uh, than undergraduate. So certainly that certainly resonates with me. And I'm curious, Fred and I feel the same kind of inquiries at our law firm, a lot of inbound and outbound work, countries all over the world who want to be involved in the cannabis market in the U.S. What would you say are some trends you've seen in inquiries? Which countries, which continents are, are particularly interested in the EU market? 
Most of the time I'm spent working on the CBD, the CBD market and the CBD uh, problematic. Um, there's the novel food, uh, maybe you've heard of that, the novel food regulation by the European Union. The, the European Union decided uh, early 2019 that uh, CBD extracts, CBD oils uh, are a novel food and needs to have a special security uh, check until it is allowed to to, to come to, uh, on the market to be marketable in, in the European Union. We have the European Industrial Hemp Association in, uh, in Europe uh, and I'm the legal advisor of this uh, industry association. And um, after the decision uh, of the European Union that uh, hemp uh, oil, uh, that CBD oil is a novel food, uh, they came up with the idea of a novel food joint application. And uh, we are organizing this uh, novel food joint application. I'm in charge for the uh, for the legal con construct uh, of this uh, of this association of this consortium. And there you see that every company from all over the world, Canada, US, Spain, uh, New Zealand, Australia, uh, they are all coming now to join this consortium, uh, pay, pay their special uh, contribution, pay their membership fees for the association and want to be part of, of this association. Uh, we have 200 members right now. We are trying to raise uh, uh, 3 to 3.5 million euros uh, to uh, finance uh, extensive uh, studies uh, with human exposure, with animal testing, um, to uh, prove the safety of CBD and especially of THC in food. Um, and this is a long process, uh, three years, uh, very extensive, uh, very expensive. Um, and uh, in the end, uh, this will open up the CBD market in Europe, uh, finally. And uh, then, uh, yeah, the market will be able to uh, unfold its, 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 its full uh, you know, capacity or full option uh, or full um, potential. Uh, okay. And uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, attracting uh, companies from all over the world right now. And so you were also one of the founding members of the International Cannabis Bar Association, right? We call that INCBA here in the U.S. I think it's because we're lazy. We don't like saying full names. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, about INCBA, about why you formed it, uh, what it's doing, and how it can be useful? Before it was the National Cannabis Bar Association, uh, founded, I guess, in 2015 in the U.S., uh, founding member was, for example, Mary Shapiro from the Vogler from, from the West Coast, Christopher Davis, the managing director, the Shapna Malek was founding member. And of course, it was an U.S. Uh, legal uh, professional association by, by that time. And it still is. It still is. Uh, you can always, you, you may also can say that it is uh, uh, too much West Coast lawyers out there because uh, California had a strong demand for forming a lawyer's association to, uh, yeah, to, to fight and protect and enhance or boss or bolster foster uh, the, the legal interests of, of the, um, of the legal profession. Um, but uh, then, uh, yeah, all the other U.S. states came came uh, into or uh, started legalization programs. Uh, so um, uh, the um, yeah, I, I'm, I was first involved with INCPA uh, or NCBA in 2018 in Washington, 
Uh, and uh, then the, the idea came up uh, to, uh, to uh, yeah, extend, expand uh, the reach of, of this association because uh, in the future, the supply chain and uh, the business will be internationally. Uh, as uh, more and more states uh, are going to legalize uh, cannabis, uh, we saw that in Canada, we saw that in Uruguay, uh, we see that now in Mexico, we see that in Luxembourg, they all have agreed on uh, legalization. Um, and um, many companies are coming. We have uh, really uh, strong de de debates in, in, in the UK about legalizing. Uh, in France, uh, there's a, a governing, um, um, uh, uh, there's a commission uh, consulting the government, um, uh, recommending uh, cannabis uh, legalization. And in Germany, we have uh, the, the Green Party strong in favor of legalization. And if they will play a role in the next government in, uh, in September, After September, uh, we will see that they uh, will uh, install their Cannabis Control Act in, 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 in the best case. Um, and so there is a need to have also an international uh, dimension of uh, putting lawyers together. Um, on the one hand, to, uh, to, uh, yeah, to enhance their, their, their business, to make contacts easily available uh, for for different nations, for different states, um, and but also to to agree on on rules or to exchange experience uh, how legalization was implemented in in, uh, in the different states and the different jurisdictions, and to learn from each other. And, and um, I was really impressed as I went to, to, to Washington as I saw these, uh, uh, these sessions uh, and as the, uh, all the lawyers, all the colleagues from different law firms, but frankly sharing knowledge uh, and uh, they are all at the, uh, the, the, the same common uh, uh, attitude uh, that they are, were building up a new market or that they are building up a new market and that it is useful and absolutely necessary to share knowledge, to work together. Uh, and uh, I was quite impressed. And so I uh, said, okay, that's, that's a great way. I want to be part of this. Um, and then we decided uh, to, to, uh, yeah, to, to go international. Uh, we are just at the beginning of this. It's still, it is, uh, 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 U.S. focused uh, uh, association, uh, but uh, we have uh, more and more international uh, uh, members and the annual event at the Cannabis Law Institute, there's always one day reserved for international issues. Um, so we are talking about uh, aspects of the European Union. We Last October, uh, we were discussing um, the uh, single convention and uh, the interse modification procedure, for example, how states can work together uh, when uh, making business, when they have legalized, how to circumvent the provisions of the single convention where uh, international trade is strictly regulated and uh, legal aspects like, 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 like that. Uh, and uh, yeah, this will be an important work in the future for, for international trade and uh, um, I just can uh, recommend every lawyer to, to uh, look at the website, share the association and profit from it. Kai, earlier when we were talking about the, the upcoming election in Germany, you, you alluded to possible changes 
to cannabis policy that might come as a result of that election. And that's one of the intersections that that I'm always interested in, you know, the connection between electoral politics and, and cannabis policy. And I find myself following obscure elections around the world and curious to see what what changes there will be to to cannabis policy and just makes it a little bit more more interesting in some cases, although usually I find these these elections interesting anyway. But what do you see as some potential developments that that might occur in Germany and the EU regarding cannabis, whether they're connected or or not to the uh, upcoming election? What is, in your view, cannabis's future in Europe? And maybe going a little bit further, as as you may know, in some places in the U.S., legalization efforts are going beyond cannabis, right? So you have this consideration of whether there are other substances that could potentially be legalized. Um, do you see any room for 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 that uh, in in Europe? Yeah, so we have the Medical Cannabis uh, Act is in place since 2017. And uh, right now we have about 100,000 patients uh, um, uh, having prescriptions for medical cannabis. Uh, As a a medical cannabis patient, um, you have to um, obtain the uh, medical cannabis uh, through the pharmacy. You have to have a prescription from a doctor first. Um, And uh, we started with 1,000 medical cannabis patients and now we have 100,000 three years after or four years after right now. Um, this uh, market volume is very small still. We're talking about 150 million uh, revenue of, of sales for medical cannabis in Germany. Uh, we're talking about uh, 10 tons of dried flowers import to Germany. Um, but the market is still in, uh, in, in development. Um, the patient's numbers rise steadily, not uh, extraordinary, not, not well, what is it? What, deep learning the epidemic uh, uh, extent, extensive, but this will be a market, uh, a valid market, uh, and is slowly developing. Um, that's that's fine. That, and, and every European country will set up a medical cannabis program, so there's still place and still uh, um, steady growth uh, for, for investors and for companies to uh, participate in, in that. That's the one market. The other market is the CBD market. CBD exploded. People want CBD. Uh, they buy it. Uh, they buy it uh, illegally right now uh, because we have these noble food issue, as I explained. Uh, <clears throat> there is There are police raids uh, uh, going after uh, small hemp shops uh, selling CBD stuffs. Uh, we have the big retailers uh, getting distribution bans every now and then. They have to take the products off the shelves, but put it up in a, with a different labeling again. Uh, it's a back and forth, uh, and this problem won't be solved till the novel food uh, authorization by the EU Commission will be granted in three years' time. Um, we have the CBD flowers, also very, very popular. I have uh, three uh, big criminal proceedings, uh, four at least right now going on, where people are accused uh, for uh, trading of uh, 13 to 15 kilograms of CBD flowers, of industrial hemp flowers, uh, uh, like uh, trimmed, like a, like a THC, but um, it's for smokable purposes, of course. <clears throat> but we have the, also the situation that they are legal in Austria, Belgium, and Luxembourg, um, and uh, then we can uh, reoccur on the um, on the uh, principle of free movement of goods within the European Union, like the Canaweb case, which was decided in in November last year. 
that's the second part of the of the market, and the third part of the market will be the legal, legalization. And um, the um, as I explained, there was nothing going on from 1994 to uh, 2017, uh, and this uh, reform in 2017 uh, took away the old bad stigma of cannabis. No one, ten years down the road, everyone said, "Oh, cannabis, it's." evil, uh, you get addicted, you will die, you will take cocaine and heroin afterwards, uh, um, you, you, you start with that. Uh, that is, has vanished, that's over, let's stop. So cannabis is, a, is a acknowledged as a medicine, as a treatment, as an alternative treatment. And we have 5 million cannabis users on a regular basis in, in Germany. Uh, we have 600 to 800 tons in the black market. We have uh, this equivalent in, 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 yeah, in, in market volume from six to eight billion euros in Germany alone, only traded in the black market. And, uh, no control, no federal control of the quality of the stuff. Uh, no tax revenues, uh, no uh, wages, no properly paid wages uh, for, for shopkeepers and store staff. Um, uh, and uh, the, the black market, the organized crime uh, is uh, mainly uh, taking part of this or taking advantage of this. Uh, and we have 180,000 criminal proceedings every year, uh, which has to be stopped right uh, after they uh, reach the uh, prosecutor's office. But the police has to go after them because they are obliged to do so. So many capacities of the police, of the law enforcement, are bound by chasing harmless stoners, you know. And everyone sees that right now. We are in the position that everyone sees that uh, this is unnecessary. This is a human rights issue for a huge part of the population, uh, which is not allowed to take their right of intoxication on a very harmless uh, level. And we see that the state doesn't generate tax revenues uh, from all kinds of, of, of the businesses would, would, which would be possible. And we see that this is happening in Canada, this is happening in the US, in, in the states which have legalized so far. Uh, and that's the reason why the Green Party has um, prepared a complete draft for legalization. It's called the Cannabis Control Act. It already was discussed in Bundestag two times. And the Greens are still strong in the polls. And if they will uh, become part of the next government, they will demand that this law will be agreed on uh, probably in the best case in uh, January, February next year. Uh, and then there will be a phase of two years uh, where Germany has to take care of its international obligations within the single convention. Uh, and the industry can prepare for the new rules. And uh, this will be a very, very interesting phase. Um, uh, for for everyone, for uh, for the international players, for the international companies, and we are looking, of course, for the US and for Canada uh, because they have uh, the, the the most experience with new cannabis products like vape pens, uh, like the formulations, like. Uh, um, how to produce a chocolate bar with a standardized 10 milligram THC content. Um, 
And uh, the 600 to 800 tons, they have to come somewhere from, and not from an illegal, from a black market, but from a regular market. So uh, this is really very, very interesting, how to how to secure the supply chain and, and many, many, many opportunities in investment uh, for, 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 for chains, for retail chains, uh, for retail stores, for wholesale opportunities and, and, and stuff like that. So uh, keep a close eye on, on this development in, in Germany. If that comes, uh, uh, the market will be open and the opportunities will be endless. And to your, to your last question, um, uh, we had discussion on, on discussions or debates on, on um, legalizing uh, every uh, illegal drug because we see that there is, uh, this, the same problem is with, with cannabis. Uh, cocaine is very popular. Um, uh, we have substitution programs for heroin, but very limited, very restricted uh, to only very severe cases. Um, we don't have this debate like in, in uh, where Oregon legalized uh, psychobilin uh, stuff. So uh, we don't have that right now. I don't see that at the moment. We at the moment we we have too much to do. We are too too occupied with uh, legalizing cannabis because this has to be the focus for the moment. Kai, we always like to end our podcast with recommendations from our guests. And and certainly let me thank you for the time you spent with us today. It's always fun to hear perspectives from other attorneys on the other side of the world. And uh, certainly there's no shortage of things going on uh, in Germany this year. Um, so we'd like to ask, what are your recommendations for our listeners? Something you've read recently, something you've listened to, something you've watched that you think would be interesting for the audience to look into? What I always can recommend is, uh, of course, the uh, Deeper Shades of House show. It's by a German, it's by Lars Berenroth. He is living in the San Francisco Bay Area for almost 20 years. Uh, it's uh, Deeper Shades of House, the best househound, uh, most uh, advanced and uh, uh, househound uh, I've ever heard. And it's always worthwhile listening. And of course, uh, if you're interested in the German developments, uh, I can recommend uh, to you crowdinvest.de. Uh, this is an online news magazine and producing and presenting uh, all the latest developments on the medical cannabis scene for interesting for companies, which actual numbers, interviews with German CEOs uh, from the German companies, which are producing with the uh, domestic cultivators in, in Germany, for example, or the big import companies or politicians. And of course, if you're interested in the legalizing development in, in Germany, you have to look at dhv.de, deutscherhamverband.de. Uh, they are uh, having a weekly uh, news magazine uh, and all the developments, uh, what, what is going on, what, who say what uh, in terms of legalization uh, and uh, what's the state of, uh, of, the, of the debate. That's great. Thanks, Kai. So, Fred, what recommendation do you have for us today? So I've been watching the fourth season of The Crown on, on Netflix. And the first thing that I'd like to say is it, it's not a documentary. Uh, there, there's a lot of people out there that seem to think that this is a faithful retelling of everything that happened with the British royal family. It probably isn't. We just don't know. But um, the production values are really good. I mean, the the cinematography is great. Most of the actors are are pretty good. It's an entertaining way of reviewing 
well, certainly British history over the last you know, 50, 60 years, uh, but also world history in general. We're, we're now at the point, or I'm at the point where the, uh, we're in the lead up to the, to the Falklands War. So, so it's good to, to, to see the British perspective on that and, and, and how the UK government, both the Buckingham Palace and the actual elected government dealt with it. So it's just a great example of why I'm enjoying the the series beyond the more gossipy, speculative aspect, you know, of, you know, what was happening inside this royal marriage or that one. So I'd like to recommend The Crown as my recommendation for this week. And what about you, Jonathan? This week, I'm recommending something a little more unusual than what I usually recommend. Uh, I've been spending some time the last few weeks reading through my grandfather's journal. Uh, he was born in the early 1900s and uh, wrote his journal when he was uh, in his 70s. So this would have been in the in the early uh, late 70s, early 80s, I believe. So it's very fun to read um, what he put together, memories from his life that I, I know he typed with two fingers on his typewriter. Um, and and I also want to recommend, uh, I recommend that because um, I, I think this pandemic year has caused us all to reflect a little more on uh, on life and death. Uh, and I always feel connected to, uh, certainly to my children, but also to my ancestors as I go through, um, you know, to go through the thinking about what, what I'm doing here on this earth and the kind of legacy that I'm leaving behind. I try to write in my journal periodically and hope that at some point I, I go through and uh, and can summarize things in a meaningful way for my for my children and grandchildren and, and others who come after me. So um, so I recommend that if you have a uh, you know if you have some family history, some old pictures even that you haven't looked into, you have um, you know parents and grandparents who are still alive who may not have told their stories. Um, that certainly that's a worthwhile way to spend time in between uh, binging shows on on Amazon and Netflix. And then I want to recommend two apps. One is called the Family Tree app. The other is called the Memories app. They're both put on by Family Search, and uh, so you can look, you know, get it, get your information, get in, and, and uh, you can see how uh, where you link up with the rest of your family. Um, and and then the Memories app is used to record memories in real time. And so I've used that with uh, with grandparents in conversations, so I can just turn on the microphone and record their stories. I'm asking them questions about their life. So a little more introspective recommendation this week, but certainly um, worth your time uh, if you're so inclined. Kai, I want to thank you again for spending time with us today on our show. Um, we look forward to catching up with you again in the future and uh, seeing how the election went this year and uh, and how the uh, how the cannabis market is doing in, in Germany and, and in the EU. Thank you very much for having me. It was my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We look forward to connecting with you on social media to continue discussing developments in global law and business. This podcast was produced by Harris Bricken with executive producer Madeline Williams, music composed by Stephen Schmidt. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then. Thank you.